You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Happy Mother's Day, all our moms out there. I hope that you have already felt some love this morning. If you're so incredibly blessed to be with your mom today, I know you're gonna take time to tell her how much you love her, encourage her, lift her up today. We are so thankful for all of our mothers at Foothills Church. Um, Hey, so let's grab our Bibles and let's turn to Galatians chapter four today. We're working our way through the book of Galatians and the writer of this letter is the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to these churches because there were some Christians turning away from the truth of the gospel and they started to believe this group of legalistic false teachers who said, go ahead and believe in Jesus, but you also need to perform some religious duties if you wanna be right with God. And Paul is saying, listen, that's a false gospel. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone and in Christ alone. And the only thing that saved you is simply Jesus. You can't work your way into heaven. So, but having found freedom in Christ, the Galatian Christians had fallen back into a new form of slavery and they allowed themselves to be captive to this legalistic behavior. So let's start today with a question. What really is legalism? And so here's a good definition. Legalism is simply measuring maturity by the number of rules that you keep. So we get into this idea that, you know, we, we are able to measure how much spiritual growth, how mature we are simply by the rules that we're keeping. You know, many people think God sits up in heaven with a great big scale. And on one side, he measures all of our bad work. And on the other side, he measures all of your good work. And if your good work outbalances your bad work, then God loves you. And if your bad work outweighs your good work, God doesn't love you. He's not going to let you into heaven. And uh, in our minds, that's kind of sometimes how we, we, we perceive God. What religious people love to create list of do's and don'ts in the church. And this list of do's and don'ts are just simply man-made rules. And, and one of the rules that I know you probably heard growing up, I did, is, is, is don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew, or hang with women that do. Uh, and so that might be a, a good uh, a thing to live by. I don't know, but one of the many problems with coming up with rules like this is that legalistic groups are all different and they all have their own set of rules that, that you have to live by. And, and so you never know which ones you need to follow. One group says you can't wear makeup or cut your hair. And another group says you can wear makeup, you can cut your hair, you just can't go to movies. And so, you know, you, it's just confusing. And, and I just say, man, I can't wait to get a haircut this week, please wear makeup. And I cannot wait to go back to the movie theaters. That's just kind of where I stand. But one group says, hey, you need to give God your best and dress up on Sundays. And another group says, you know, God doesn't care what you wear, but if you love God, you're gonna speak in tongues. So legalism comes in all shapes and forms because people create their own little list of rules and then they get tied down by them. So legalism is simply measuring maturity by the number of rules you think you're keeping. You know, I grew up in the church and uh, everyone at that time in those days wore suits and dresses. And I know there's still a lot of churches that do that, but, but that's just kind of how I was raised. And, and then uh, when I became a pastor and got my first church as a pastor, man, I was wearing a suit every single Sunday. And so when we started FC 11 years ago, I decided, you know, that I was not going to wear a suit. I was, I was going to go casual. I was going to wear jeans to preach in and, 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 and uh, go that route. But I can tell you, I was so nervous. I I had this mentality that wearing a suit was the right thing to do and anything less was wrong. 
you know, it's funny to me now, but it really was a big deal for me at that time. And, and uh, I think about that and I think, why? Why was it such a big deal for me? And, and it's really because legalism gets rooted into your heart and it's hard to get rid of. Today, I kind of feel free to wear whatever I want to wear. And the difference is I don't feel like wearing a certain uh, type of clothing pleases God or displeases God. So, I'm, you know, I'm free to wear what I want to free. And the truth is many Christians struggle with legalism. Uh, what legalistic rule are, are you stuck on today? Um, you know, we get saved by grace, but it's hard for us to live by grace. And so we create these rules, but those rules simply are ruining our walk with the Lord. And today in chapter four of Galatians, Paul teaches some really important truths that can set you free from legalism. So let's look at chapter four, beginning in verse one. Here's what he says. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, what in the world is he talking about? At this point, it's really helpful to know a little bit about Greek civil law to understand what in the world Paul is saying. So I know you're laying on your couch and you're all cuddled up and you might be about to fall asleep. So I'm sure Greek civil law is gonna wake you up today. But uh, I think it's important. Like in those days, it was the custom for a wealthy man to hand his estate over to his firstborn son. So before the son was old enough, the estate was handled by a guardian. The father's land belonged to the boy, but the boy had not yet possessed it. And so the guardian was in charge of the young boy's education. He made him wake up and go to school. He told him what to wear, how to behave. And when it was time to go to bed, it was all for the boy's own good because he didn't know how to run an estate or really how to handle money. And so you can imagine at times for the boy, it felt like he was in bondage because he had this list of rules that the guardian gave him. But when the boy came of age, he would finally receive the inheritance. And so here's Paul's point. The point is that as long as the boy is little, he basically has the same freedom as a slave. The kid owns everything, but he can't do anything with it because he doesn't actually possess it. He had no authority. He was under the guardian. And so Paul is saying that God's law was the guardian and it played a similar role for God's people. In verse three, it says, in the same way, when we were children, we were enslaved. We were enslaved to this elementary principle of the world. So we were slaves to this basic principle. And that basic principle is this. It says that you have to do something in order to make God happy. And before knowing Christ, every single human being in the history of the world is enslaved by that concept. Paul's saying that it's time for you to grow up. The law was elementary school. Do this, do that, worship here, eat this, dress like this, you know, to please God. They were sons, but they felt like they were slaves. Paul's saying that what Christ is offering you is something much greater. He's offering you freedom from living that, that, that life. And it's time for you to graduate from kindergarten, the list of rules, and get your PhD in God's grace. It's so much better. So what is God's grace all about? 
Well, let's keep reading in uh, chapter four here, beginning in verse four. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Let's break this down a little bit here. The first thing he says is that there was some kind of fullness coming in time. So it was the perfect time. Jesus came at the exact time God wanted him to come. And at this time, what was he doing? God was actually sending the son forth. And God was sending this son to us, teaching us that the son already existed. He wasn't created at Christmas. Jesus has eternally existed from the very beginning, but he was born and he was born, how? Of a woman. Now, why is this important? Well, he's teaching us that Jesus was born just like you and I. He was fully human. Yes, he was fully God, but being born like us, that means he grew up like us. He faced all the temptations that you and I face. Now, why was he born? He was born to redeem us. So this word redeem means that by dying on the cross, Jesus is buying your freedom. Redeem means to release a slave from an owner. So by paying the full price, we receive his freedom. And then finally, this redemption creates something incredible for you and I. Sometimes we don't understand it very well, but it says that we are adopted. And you and I are adopted as sons and daughters of God. This is amazing. In Christ, you are no longer a slave. You are a son. You are a daughter. You were transformed from a slave to a son. And we say, how can that be? And verse five says that in Christ, we are adopted as sons. Now, in the ancient world at this time, the family was based on a Roman law that was called patria potestas. And it simply meant the father's power. You see, this law gave the father absolute authority over his children so long as the father lived. He could, he could make the kids work. He could enslave them. He could sell them if he wished. He could give them the death penalty if he wanted to. Uh, regardless of the, the uh, child's adult age, the father held all power over personal and, and property rights. So adoption was a very serious matter. If a father legally adopted you, three things would happen. First of all, the child was adopted permanently. So you couldn't get unadopted once you were adopted. It was a permanent legal status. The second thing that would happen is that the son had all the rights of a biological son or daughter in the family. And so he received all of these rights uh, legally. And the third thing is that the son lost all rights to his old family. So the family, the old family is out, the new family is actually in. So the issue for the Galatian churches is that they were adopted sons and daughters, but they were forcing each other to live like slaves under the law uh, that they saw commanded in uh, the Old Testament. Uh, they started living like a slave, even though they were a son. And anytime you do that, you're miserable. And God's heart is grieved. You see, when God saves you, he wants you to know that you are his child. And he wants his adopted children to know for, for certain that they are loved and cared for permanently. So you're not gonna get unadopted if you mess up today. 
You lost all the rights to your past life. And guess what? That's great. We want to leave that behind. Those ties are completely cut and you have all the rights and privileges of a son or daughter in God's family. You see, every child wonders if their parents really love them. Every adopted child wonders, do my adopted parents really love me? You know, sometimes our kids will, will test our love. They'll, they might understand, they may not understand what they are doing, but uh, they're, they're testing our love for them. Somewhere in a child's heart, they wanna see their parents' love in action. They wanna feel it. So they might say something hurtful to a mother. Moms, your teenager doesn't really mean it when they say hurtful things, but, but their sinful little hearts are, are desperately seeking real love. Uh, don't take those comments personally, mom. Take them as a desperate cry from a little sinner because that's what they are. They, they might be doing something hurtful to a mom and a mom's response is gonna be tested. Kids are testing our love continuously, probably not on purpose, but they do immature sinful things because, well, they're immature sinful people. And, and our reaction, our response to their choices will teach them a lot about God's love and it'll teach us a lot about who we are. So moms today, you need to give yourself a little grace. It's, it's really hard being a mom. It's really hard being a parent. And the good news for you is that when God saves you, he makes you an adopted son, an adopted daughter into the family of God. And you can rest in that truth today. Let's keep reading in verse six here. Paul says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So what he is saying here is something in absolutely credible. He's saying that we have such a close relationship with God. We're no longer a slave. We're a son. We're a daughter. And that gives us access to cry out to our heavenly father with words like Abba. Now, this is a very personal term. It, it's a word that a little child would use, meaning papa or daddy. And just as a young child knows that mommy and daddy love them, so too we can have the certainty that God loves us unconditionally and we can go to him anytime and we can know him as a close father. We can cry out to him in good times and in bad times and we can cry out to our Abba, Father. He's our daddy, he's our papa. And that's the amazing thing about our relationship with God now, that we can cry out to him in good times, in bad times, as a loving, caring father, just like a little child would cry out to their children. So if you're taking notes, this is incredible. The, the privilege of being a child of God is a close relationship with our heavenly father. Following Jesus is not a matter of what we know, it's a matter of who we know. And that means following Jesus is this personal, close relationship with Him. Now listen, if you aren't experiencing that closeness, I wonder if you really have ever really embraced Jesus at all, or if you just embraced some type of religion filled with rules. Well, let's keep reading here in verse eight. He says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God or rather be known by God. Here's what he's saying. Now that 
you have. All right, let's think about that phrase right there. Now that you have means that there was a time when you did not know God. Now, here's why that's important. When I ask people about their salvation experience, sometimes uh, people will tell me that they have always believed. They can't think or describe the moment where God saved them. And they say, well, you know, I just, I've always believed. I've always been in church and I just always believed. But listen, that cannot be true. Now that you have come to know God, that tells us that there was a time when you didn't know him. But here's the other cool part about it. He says, or rather be known by God. So the other really amazing truth that we're learning right here is that God loved and knew you and I first. His love was set on you. He came running towards you and he said, I adopt you. I choose you. You are now my son. You are now my daughter. And then we grow in the knowledge of God as our father. Let's go to verse nine here. He says, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I have labored over you in vain. Look at some of the words that Paul is using here. He's saying that some of the, some of the elementary principles that we follow are weak. They are in fact worthless. They are elementary principles of the world. You see, when you don't know God, you worship false gods, false idols. And the Galatians worship many Greek gods. They worship both Zeus and Mercury, but Paul describes them as being enslaved to these elementary principles of the world. Now today, unbelievers worship idols all the time and we're not worshiping Zeus and, and some of these like engraven images, but people will worship things like money and they worship money as if money's gonna solve their problems and bring them happiness. And so money makes us feel secure. It consumes a lot of our time. So, so in reality, whatever takes up your time, your energy, your skills, and your thoughts, that ends up being your God. And it might not be money, it might be pleasure for you or power, it might be the opinion of other people. And before we know God, we are worshiping these weak, worthless, elementary principles of the world. But Paul is saying, if you know God and you have been set free, in fact, by Jesus, he is saying to us today, don't go back to slavery. You've been set free to live free. You see, the Galatians were going back to spiritual kindergarten. They were reverting back to Old Testament laws, observe these days and seasons and years. They're observing special holidays and festivals that the Old Testament law commanded. And Paul is saying, you don't have to do that. There's a big difference between the optional observance of a special day and, and making it mandatory as, as a means to gain God's love. And, and that's why legalism really lives in your heart and, and only your motives can show your heart. So you, you can eat at a Passover meal and be reminded about the Jewish holiday and tell your kids the story of Moses and you know uh, God freeing them from slavery if you want to, not a big deal. But if you're doing it because you think it makes you holier, it makes you more pleasing to God. If you do it and, and you look down on others who don't, that's the heart of legalism. And if you don't wanna wear you know, jeans to church or wear hats to church, that's fine. If you do, that's fine as well. But if you think wearing something makes you more right than someone else, 
That's legalism. It has no place in God's church. Same can be said about tattoos or drinking alcohol or watching movies. You might have a good reason to avoid these things, but don't think you're more special or more godly because you refrain. Legalism teaches that what God will do for you depends on what you do for God, that God will give you more grace. In other words, if you have enough faith, God will save you. And so if you live like that, you're wondering, do I have enough? Am I, am I ever gonna have enough? Am I ever gonna do enough? Or maybe I, maybe I have enough today. Maybe I didn't today. And, and we're always wondering. Legalism says if you pray enough, God's gonna answer you. And so we pray. And if he doesn't answer us, we're like, well, maybe we didn't pray enough. We didn't pray hard enough. We didn't have the right people praying. Confusion, that's legalism. Legalism says if you live good enough, God will let you into heaven. And so we're constantly trying to be good and better and, and, and do things. Why? Not of a, out of a motivation to love God and to love people. It's out of a motivation to get God to love us or to be pleased with us. Legalism says if you serve enough, he's going to bring you blessing. And so we're, we're, we're trying to manipulate God to bless us with things by running and serving in all these places instead of serving out of a grateful heart. For many Christians, I mean, the reality is we are still in recovery. We're recovering from legalism. Because even though we might say God saved us by grace, it is hard for us to live by His grace. We put up rules all the time to make us feel like we're doing something to get God to do, do something for us. And it's wrong and it's enslaving to us. And so that's why this text is amazing. Let's keep going here in verse 12. Paul says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? Now, what's interesting right here is this word blessedness, and it simply means joy. And so Paul is asking the question, where did your joy go? Uh, one of the main ways that you and I can tell if legalism is in our heart today is by asking this question, where is the joy of knowing God in your life? If you want something to kill your joy, concentrate on rules rather than on your relationship with God. Legalists are seldom happy. They're critical. They're always looking for what's wrong. They're bossy. And he says, what happened to your joy? You see, you lose your joy if you focus on rules. And the Christian life is based on relationships, not rules. And so it's my relationship to God. Jesus said, it's simple. If you wanna summarize the whole Bible here, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. How do you do that? simply through Jesus. This is where we as, as parents have to get it right. We've gotta be careful. You've heard this before. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. Why is that? Well, if all you're doing is preaching rules, rules, rules to your kid, they'll begin to resent you. They desire a relationship with you. And in the same way, God desires a relationship with you, not based on rules, but based on his grace. And so if we are losing our joy, it probably means we're focused on rules. Paul said, listen, when I came to you and I preached the gospel, you found joy in knowing God. What's happened to that joy? What's happened to your happiness in knowing the Lord today? 
Now, maybe the coronavirus has robbed you of some joy. I get that. There's a lot of stress today because of the virus, but let's think about the gospel for a, member, uh, uh, for a moment. Let's remember the joy you had in the Father's instruction. Let's remember when, when you first got excited about new teaching. Let's remember when you first came to know Jesus. Let's remember when you first came to FC and, and the music and the teaching excited you. What happens? You get used to it. Maybe you get lazy with your quiet time. Maybe you stop going to small group and then all of a sudden you end up coming to church because you have to, not because you want to. You've lost your joy. You start focusing your, on your life and you stop focusing on helping others around you and all you have left to make yourself feel good about your faith are the rules that you have set up in your life. Well, at least I, I've done this and I still do that. So I guess I'm okay. But deep down, there's no joy in knowing Jesus for you. God set you free to live free, man. Start living free. And freedom is only found in Jesus. Paul says, man, I was in bad shape. And when I came, you didn't reject me. Verse 13, he was obviously in bad health. And, and, uh, and, and verse 14, it's actually suggesting that what he had was, was pretty hard to look at. Whatever, whatever you know, illness he had was kind of hard to look at. Um, some, uh, some people think he had malaria. Some people thought he had some kind of eye disease. Either way, it was kind of hard to look at. It's kind of gross. And remember, in that day, if you were sick, people thought you did something to uh, upset the gods or, or that there were some kind of demonic forces at play there. And Paul says, you didn't despise me. You didn't reject me. Literally, it's translated. You didn't spit on me uh, because it was known at that time, the pagans were known to spit on people who had some type of, of, of disfigure or illness, but the Galatians didn't reject him. They cared for him and they treated him in fact, like an angel. You see, God is gonna use health problems to achieve his purpose today. In fact, for Paul, his disability became God's opportunity. You see, God uses Paul's health problem to share the gospel with these people in Galatia. They welcomed him, they helped him and he shared the gospel with them and God saved them and God transformed their life. Now, uh, there's, there's in, in 2 Corinthians 12, there's a time where, where Paul is like, I prayed that God would take away this illness. And so he, he was praying and over and over again and, and, and God didn't heal him. Instead, God told him, my power is made perfect in your weakness. You know, today, obviously we're facing a global pandemic and we're praying that God takes this virus away. Take it away, God. We're praying that he, that he will. We believe he will. And until he does, if you or I get sick from COVID-19 or, or maybe you're facing some other kind of illness today, whether God heals or God does not, his power is made perfect in your weakness which means he has a purpose for your sickness. He gives us power in our weakness. And, and that strength is felt only when we are at our weakest point. When I feel strong, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm not desperate for God's strength. We all you know, live with this facade, don't we? We live with this pretense that, that we're strong enough to go to sleep at night and wake up in the morning on our own strength. We don't really understand the mystery of our bodies going to sleep. And while we're asleep, our heart knows to keep on beating. How? God. Our body knows, keep on breathing. How? God. <laughs> Through the night, our blood pressure. How? God. Our central nervous system functioning well. How? God. And then we wake up and we stand up and we go brush our teeth. How does that happen? 
God, he gave us the breath. He woke us up. We don't value the millions of miracles that had to take place just for you to go to sleep, stay asleep and wake up to be able to live another day. If we're strong, we don't think about how blessed we really are. So what do we need? Well, God allows us to experience weakness so that we can feel his strength. It's only in our weakness that we see this powerfully manifested. God is going to bring the greatest good from your greatest defeats. What do we need? We need sometimes to feel defeated. We sometimes need to feel weakness. Why? It's in those weak moments that we experience the greatest good and the greatest blessing. So you don't need to get depressed or afraid. You don't need to complain about the difficulties you are facing today because you serve a God that knows what he's doing. And you can trust him because he's already done a miracle for you. Not to mention he sent his son to take your place, to forgive you of all your sin, adopt you into the family of God. And when you leave this world, you'll live with him forever in heaven. Listen, maybe you don't trust your earthly father, but let me tell you today, you can trust your heavenly father. Maybe you received Christ's free gift, but, but then you, you know, kind of went back to the principles of the world. You know, you drifted back into a, a worldly way of thinking and living. Maybe a friend at that time, or maybe even recently, tried to talk to you about it and you got mad at them. I love what verse 16 says here. Let's look at it. Paul says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? Sometimes we have, you know, a friend tell us the truth or, or, or you know, tell us something about, you know, what, what scripture says and we treat them as an enemy. Sometimes we think the truth is our enemy. Uh, I wonder if anybody's ever tried to confront you or your life and, and uh, try to call you out. You didn't like it. I remember my mom doing this in my life several times. And, uh, you know, today being Mother's Day, I, I love to remember her, celebrate her. Um, she's uh, gone on to be with the Lord. She died of cancer. And, uh, you know, t t today I'm reminded of just some amazing stories and just some, some great things about her love for me. I'll, I'll never forget coming home from college uh, for, for the summer and, and uh, I had messed up several times just in like a couple of weeks. Uh, one, one mistake is I was backing out of the driveway and my, my car ran into the basketball goal and just kind of scraped up the whole side of the car. And, and uh, I remember um, I, I also kind of, I was mowing the lawn and I ran over something and messed up the blades and ruined the lawnmower somehow. And the college also sent me some, some parking tickets in the mail that happened. It was just like one after another. And uh, there, there were several other things I'm not gonna get into, uh, by the way. But uh, mom uh, finally got kind of over the edge when, when uh, she, she was a gardener. And so she was always watering her flowers and whatnot. And so big yard had lots of kind of hooked up hoses. I, I actually, I backed up the car and I ran over where the hoses connect and bent them and ruined the, the hoses and uh, prevented me from watering them while she was out of town. So some flowers died. And, and uh, that, that was kind of the last straw uh, for her at that time. And so what mom did was she made a list and she walked up to me very calmly and on a scrap piece of paper, she wrote all these things that had happened over the last couple of weeks and how much money it was. And uh, she was like, y y just so you know, this trend is, is what you've kind of been involved in over the last few weeks. And I saw that and I was like, dang, that's a lot of money and that's a lot of stuff. But, but I got really defensive and I kind of went down the path of nobody's perfect mom, blah, 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 blah. But you know, her point wasn't, Trent, you messed up. Her point was, listen, Trent, you're living very recklessly right now. You're living very carelessly. 
And all this stuff you're breaking, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me and your father. Uh, and, and we're the ones paying for it. But one day you're gonna own stuff. And if you don't address this, you're gonna hurt people. You're gonna hurt yourself. Uh, you're gonna have to be more responsible. And if you're listening to this to me today and, and you've made it this far in the sermon, I hope you see me as someone who wants to speak God's truth into your life, not as your enemy. I'm your friend today. Some of you are living a very reckless life. You're not breaking water hoses. You're breaking your family's heart. You're breaking God's heart. And this reckless life is hurting you and it's hurting others. And if you're honest today, you aren't happy with your life. Um, I love all kinds of music and um, there's a song uh, called 2016 by Sam Hunt, country song. And uh, it's a really good song about regret. And apparently he treated this woman that he loved very poorly. And, and the song is about him wishing he could give her 2016 back because he was an idiot during that year. And one of the lines of the song says, I thought I wanted freedom. I told myself I'd have a ball, but it turns out going out, chasing dreams and lonely women ain't freedom after all. If I could go back now and take it back somehow. And he goes into the chorus and I thought about singing it today, but my wife was like, don't do it, Trent, resist that temptation. So I'm resisting right now. But the reality is some of you are going through that right now. You thought leaving your parents' house, going out and chasing women, living, living for your dream would somehow make you feel alive, make you feel freedom. But you're realizing today that you're really feeling enslaved to that lifestyle now. There's a, there's a big part of you that's still missing and that something is Jesus. Maybe you thought getting married or going to college, maybe getting a house or apartment, maybe having a, a child would bring all this fulfillment in your life and, and uh, maybe make you feel free from some of your past life. But listen, for many of you, there is something that is missing and that something that is missing is Jesus. And I'm wondering today, is as we kind of wrap up this message that some of you would say, you know what, I, I'm ready to kind of come home to Jesus today. I, I'm, I'm tired of looking at religion as a bunch of list and rule, a list of rules and do's and don'ts. And I'm realizing now that knowing God, knowing Jesus is about a relationship and your spirit, your heart is longing for that kind of relationship to be adopted into the family of God, sins forgiven, freedom given, not to live by a list of rules of do's and don'ts, but to develop that relationship further and to live your life in love and in service to Jesus that brings happiness and joy in our life. Don't you want that? Aren't you tired of the way that you're living? If you'd like to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior today, I wanna to encourage everyone listening that wants to do that just to bow their heads and have this conversation with God. Just say, God, I confess that I am a sinner. Just tell him right now, say, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save me of my sins, to come into my life and adopt me as a son or daughter. Today, I repent of sin and I give my life to Jesus. Save me today, Lord. Come into my life. From this day forward, I'm living for you. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today, I, I wanna encourage you. I wanna help you in any way that I can. And I wanna encourage you to do me a favor and text the number below and let us know who you are. We wanna celebrate with you today. Man, I hope today has been a blessing. 
And I hope that today we can begin to break the chains of some of these legalistic tendencies that we have. Leave them behind and walk and live in grace today. I love you. I'm praying for you. And I can't wait for next Sunday, Galatians chapter 5. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.